one, two, one, two. That works for an ending. Oh, that's on. Is this on? Josh has a great beard. Yeah, it's on. One, two, one, two. This is a test. This is a test. Welcome to church. Hello, everybody. Welcome to church. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is a test. Oh, I think we're on now. Here we are. It is 45 degrees. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Are we on, Charles? Good, good. One, two, 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 one. Okay.
Hi everyone, welcome to St Mark's. Please find a seat and then stand in front of it because we're about to sing. That's all the people at the back. This means you. Tina, I add my welcome to that of Ollie's. My name is Luke. If I haven't met you, it is wonderful to have you with us tonight. I hope you do uh, find your time with us a blessing wherever you're at in life at the moment. And I'd love to chat to you afterwards uh, to get to know you a bit better. If you're joining us for the first time or visiting, or you can scan one of the QR codes uh, on the back of the seats to, um, to get in touch with us. Of a significant teaching series uh, in our life as a church. It's significant because I think it's helping us think about our core identity and calling as God's people in this part of the world at this time, our prayers and our responsibilities as we think about the year ahead and the years ahead. We've been thinking about what it means for our church to see its chief responsibility under God to be in the business of this thing that we call, or Jesus calls, making disciples, making and growing disciples of Jesus. Now, I've been really encouraged by the very uh, different and diverse conversations I've had with many people on Sundays and through the week throughout this series. It's been great to see uh, so many people engaging uh, with these questions and the possibilities about how God might use us in the years ahead. But what I thought I'd do tonight uh, is just to do a bit of an extended recap of where we've come from, because this particular series really does kind of hold together as a kind of really need to the previous weeks to make sense of each week and we began our series with the question of why first of all why listen to Jesus why listen to that thing that he said to his disciples after he was uh, resurrected to go make disciples because all authority in heaven's been given to him and he'll be with us to the end of the age then we looked at why are we called to make disciples at all why does Jesus want us to make disciples and we saw that we make disciples because God's plan for the whole world and the whole of human history is to glorify his beloved son in the midst of the people he has rescued and transformed. Uh, we were reminded when we looked at various parts of scripture that God is in the work, in the business of calling his people from what the, the scriptures talk about as the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves and we've been challenged about how much we agonize over the state of people who are without jesus particularly the eternal state and whether our actions and priorities reflect what we say we believe in this area and then we looked at uh, what is a disciple we saw that the word disciple uh, just means apprentice or learner uh, it's not a particularly bizarre word but it's it's learning not in a kind of a in the sense where you go and do a course it's learning in the sense of giving one's life like an apprentice does to a master being yoked to jesus uh, turning from the worshiping of false gods towards the living and true god so a disciple is a forgiven sinner who is learning christ in repentance and faith and that means our church is an L-plate community. 
And I look back to when I was on my L plates and it can be for parents a stressful time. Often the L plate driver doesn't want to be on the L plate on their L plates. I don't want to know what they need to be taught. And I'm speaking from my own personal experience as an L plater. My, my children are much better than I was, I'm just saying. You know, the L plate experience, you just want to get off the L plates. You don't really, it's not really a badge of pride that you're driving around. Uh, and this is, I think, a really helpful way for us to think about our church. We are a forever an L plate church. We don't get off our L plates and graduate to super Christians. That's what a learning community is all about. I've been chatting with people over the last few weeks over why there's often a preference to call ourselves just Christians rather than disciples. And if you've seen the sign out in the street, the word disciple can stand out a little bit because in this day and age, disciple can sometimes be associated with kind of cult leaders or brainwashing, you know, your disciples or this person or that person. Sometimes it implies being a little bit too zealous about what you believe. How do you feel about St Mark's being a community of Christ learners, disciple-making disciples on their L-plates? Well, I guess it all depends on who we're disciples of, doesn't it? Well, last week we looked at how disciples are made and we acknowledge that it is God who makes disciples. We can't make disciples by winning arguments, by paying people. We can't make disciples even by being nice to people. Only God can make disciples through changing hearts, through the power of his spirit. But perhaps, paradoxically, this spiritual transformation that God does, God clearly gives his people, his church, that's us, a responsibility to be his agents of making and growing disciples of Jesus and in a way, that's not particularly surprising. If God's people are the people who God's, in God's spirit already dwells, well, it makes sense that they are the ones who would make more disciples if the spirit of God is dwelling in people like us. And we saw last week that this happens through uh, ingredients, known as, I'm calling them ingredients, four Ps, how are disciples made prayerfully depending on the spirit of God, proclaiming or sharing the word of God, and the people of God as God's fellow workers and persevering step by step. Everyone here who is a Christian, who is a follower of Jesus, will, humanly speaking, have become a Christian through some combination of those ingredients. This is how God promises to make disciples through his people, persevering step by step, proclaiming and sharing the word of God, prayerfully depending on the spirit of God. And we see this pattern go throughout the whole of history. We also lo looked at another set of uh, alliteration, <laughs> uh, four E's, which describe the logical pathway of making and maturing disciples of Jesus. We might have a graphic there. Here we have, I've kind of put it in a bit of a graphic form. We'll explore this a little bit more on the weekend away. But this is kind of a logic, for people who like a logical pathway, it's not like a temporal linear kind of thing where it actually happens this way in this, this sequence all the time. But basically, people engage with and connect with Christians or Christian communities. And at some point, that they hear the gospel, which is the message of Jesus, which has a, a call to actually trust and repent and turn, from away, turn back to Jesus from being away from God. 
in repentance and faith. That's what we call evangelise. And if people accept the call and uh, believe and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, they are established in their faith, which is learning what it means to pray to God, what it means to live the Christian life, what it means to be part of a church community, what it means to live not for ourselves but for our loving Creator. That's established. And at some point after that, the penny drops and say, hang on a second, kind of like what we're doing in this series, God has given us a call to mature other people to know Jesus, to make and mature other disciples. And that's what we'd call equipping. And you can see there the arrows kind of, some of the people get sent out of the church community into all the world, what we've often called missionaries. But the bulk of people who aren't sent from the church go back and serve the church, engaging, evangelising and establishing. It kind of keeps going around and around like that. That's a pathway which we're looking at a little bit more uh, at the weekend away and at other points. But today, what we're thinking about is the question of who makes disciples. And in a sense, we've already answered that question. Who makes disciples? God's people are those who make disciples, those in whom God's spirit dwells. Every Christian has the responsibility and calling to make and grow disciples of Jesus. What I'd like to do today is tease that out a little bit. Because I assume uh, this claim might raise a few questions for some people particularly the idea of Christian, all Christians sharing and uh, proclaiming or speaking the word of God with others. I think most people who have been a Christian for a while might be comfortable with the idea that all Christians are called to prayerfully depend on God's Holy Spirit, so prayerfully come before God and, come before God and pray. That, that's kind of all Christians speak to God. We, we, we kind of get that bit, but the idea of all Christians are called to share God's word. Well, not a, I don't know if we're all as... We might think, hang on a second, isn't that just for the special called gifted people? You might be thinking, well, if that's the calling, does that mean at Samas, to be part of the Samas community, I'm expected to go out in the street corners and speak to strangers about Jesus or send emails or messages to work colleagues with Bible verses or to, I don't know, to quit my job and go and study at Bible college or something like that. Now, of course, they could be possibilities, but you can be a disciple maker without doing any of these things, and we'll explore that a little bit further tonight. Other people tonight might be thinking, well, what about that whole thing of gifts? You know, some people have this gift and some people have that gift. How does that work with all Christians are being called to share God's word with others? Here's what I'd like to do tonight, is I'd like to consider big picture stuff, the idea that all Christians are called to share God's word with others, have a look at what the Bible says about that and what it looks like in practice and then think about some of the common roadblocks that Christians might have in doing this. So just as a heads up, it's a little bit longer tonight, so uh, just prepare your mental stamina and it's going to be a bit longer. Just when you think it's about to wrap up, it's got another 50 minutes. No, I'm just joking. Ooh, that was harsh, wasn't it? Sorry, I won't. It's not going to be that long, don't worry. Now, anything less than 50 minutes is going to be great, isn't it? Yeah. We're going to think about what the Bible teaches about the nature of Christian speech. Big, big picture flyover, right? We've done a few big picture flyovers. The place starts at the very beginning. God's people are designed and made for loving relationships and the gift of speech is God's glue for loving relationships. God made humans to be people of speech and language. Uh, We know there's a difference, isn't there, between... Uh, humans and animals, God speaks to humanity 
Humanity speaks to God. God spe- humans speak to one another in, and, and can speak to creation, but creation can't really speak back. There's a, something special about being made in the image of God and the way that we speak and communicate. Then sin ruins and frustrates our speech. It's one of the consequences of our sin and our pride is that our communication between both us and God and us and, us and each other become frustrated. Uh, we know very well the experience of being very fluent in self-serving speech, speech that doesn't really build others up but tears others down, and we probably do this on a daily basis. But then when we read through uh, the Old Testament, we get these glimpses of restored speech, and that's in the Old Testament through the, the spirit-inspired prophets of God, They'd speak the truth in darkness and their written words and their songs were preserved for God's people. So throughout, the, there were these glimpses. God's spirit would descend on these prophets as they would speak truthfully despite being sinful themselves. They'd speak the very words of God, but these scattered uh, individuals in the Old Testament were known as the prophets But they weren't just the people who who, uh, would speak just about the future. Some people think prophecy is all about the future. A true prophet would be someone who would often speak the spirit-empowered word of God, speaking on behalf of God to the current situation. And then God's Old Testament people would speak these words of the prophets through things like echoing them as they would read read and uh, recite parts of the law, sing the Psalms as they would gather together. Proclaiming God's truth, though, in the Old Testament was largely limited to the words given to the prophets when the people would either gather and sing together or the words spoken by the prophets. But then we get to the New Testament and things certainly change. After Jesus' resurrection and ascension at the beginning of Acts, he tells his followers to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this gift was to enable God's people not only to be convicted of their sin and to trust in, trust in him, but enabled God's people to be his witnesses, to be witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Now, unlike in the Old Testament where God's spirit would descend on a few people, it didn't just descend on a select group of people, it descended on everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. So on the day of Pentecost, when the crowds... Uh, they're trying to understand what's going on when the Spirit of God descends on the first church. The Apostle Peter has to stand up and he quotes the prophet Joel. And Joel says this in verse uh, chapter 2 of Acts, verse 17. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my Spirit on my male and female slaves in those days and they will prophesy. I'll display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon turned to blood before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what do we notice that is being fulfilled in that great day of Pentecost? It is that speaking the truth of God, the message of God to the world is no longer something that is reserved for the select subgroup of God's people called the prophets. 
the Spirit of God has been poured out on all God's people. So all God's people are prophets. All God's people now have the privilege of speaking words of prophecy, God's truth to a world that needs to know Jesus, both about the immediate situation and also where everything is heading. You know how we've been following that through this? We know, as God's people, where history is heading. So we can speak with confidence about it. God's people are called to speak this. And so the result is everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved because they've heard these words of prophecy from God's people. So there's a logic. God's spirit on all God's people to empower all of God's people to speak God's word, which makes every Christian a prophet and making every Christian someone God can use to bring people to salvation. Now, I would like just to tease out this a few more examples because I think it's easier to just say, yeah, okay, all Christians do this, but I think sometimes we, we can quickly retreat into very quickly, no, that's not my job, that's certain people's job, and we can, we can get into that quite quickly, uh, even unintentionally. In Acts chapter 8, there's an interesting little incident there. On the day, we see there in chapter 8, verse 1 to 4, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, did you notice that the author of Acts clearly records in verse 1 that everyone except the apostles were scattered? Then in verse 4, says that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So the people who are doing the preaching in verse 4 is everyone other than the apostles. the ones who we might be tempted to think, well, they were the ones entrusted to do the preaching and the speaking. Here's another example from Acts, the person of Philip. In Acts chapter 6, there's this episode uh, where the apostles realise that they were unable to properly devote themselves to the preaching and to the teaching of God's word, the good news of Jesus, and at the same time attend to the physical needs of those who they came in contact with, particularly providing food for widows. So what the apostles did was they appointed a group of people to take responsibility for providing food to the widows to free the apostles up to preach, to pray and to do these teaching things, right? And one of the people entrusted with this responsibility of provision for widows and making food and all this kind of stuff was Philip. And we read about that in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. So in isolation, this little episode might be say, okay, of course there are those who preach and teach and then there are those who, I don't know, serve on morning tea or whatever it is, and bake and prepare food, a bit like how we often like to set up different things in church church like this. But this is interesting, isn't it? Later, in Acts chapter 8, after the non-apostles had been scattered, we see Philip, the food guy, he's out and about preaching. No comment is uh, made, whether it was Philip's gift or his calling. Philip proclaim Christ after being persecuted it just seems like it's assumed and a little bit later there's the famous incident where Philip helps the Ethiopian eunuch 
to understand the significance and the prophecy of Isaiah 53 that is written about Jesus and the Ethiopian eunuch responds there and then, gives his life to Jesus, he's baptised. And then throughout Paul's letters, who was Saul in this early instance, in Paul's letters, Christians are frequently exhorted and assumed to be speaking and sharing the word of Christ with others. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, which you had read earlier, I remember preaching at a weekend away at a church uh, that I used to attend a number of years ago. Uh, I, I was a student minister at this church and I was asked to go preach at this weekend away after I'd finished uh, serving there. And I said, oh, it'd be great if you could preach on 1 Thessalonians and really, um, can you go, go deep into application? We really need to be, to be applying this. And so I was going, okay, well, I was reading through 1 Thessalonians and I was applying it to the different sections. And as I came to the end of each section, I was trying to find, well, what's Paul's application and Paul's application is constantly in Thessalonians, therefore, he's what, therefore, dot, 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 encourage each other with these words. <laughs> that was his application. It's not like, okay, get your diary out or go and spend your money this way or go and stop doing this and start doing this. It was, therefore, encourage each other with these words. So the idea of speaking words, something as simple and as mundane as words, is a precious gift that God gives his church. In Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, a section often assumed to be about all the different gifts in the church, is actually about the way God uses the different gifts in his church for a single purpose, that the body of Christ be built up. And for the body of Christ to be built up is not so that the body of Christ just feels good about itself or happy or fulfilled or feeling valued or worthwhile. That's not what it means for the body of Christ to be built up. It's to be built up into christ christ likeness is to be built up as we speak the truth in love and the gifts are oriented towards that end they're not an end in their own self sometimes we think as long as we're using our gifts that's all that that's the goal of church the goal of church is to use our gifts to build one another up into christ and so we see in a massive flyover kind of coming to the end now, book of Revelation where everything is heading, which we have already looked at briefly. Revelation 7, we see even in eternity, God's people are proclaiming in a loud voice. See there in verse 10, they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So we see clearly through the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, the gift of God's Spirit, something all Christians have, and they have the privilege of having God's Spirit and the responsibility, the opportunity to proclaim, sing, declare, shout the truth about Jesus, and not just for now, but for eternity. This is something that is called to be part of the DNA of every Christian community. So then we're going to think now, what does it look like in practice? If the clear teaching of the New Testament and the Scriptures is the expectation that all disciples of Jesus will not just be hearers of the Word, but actually speakers of the Word, what does it look like? Well, there are warnings about what it doesn't look like. There are certain people who shouldn't be speaking. Titus, certain people are commanded not to speak because they're, they're, they're causing damage and there's false teaching or self-serving and gossip. But in practice, what it looks like, Christians are called to speak the true Word of Christ. So uni we're unified in a kind of speech that speaks the truth in love. 
doesn't involve intimidating people with your Bible knowledge or showing off that you've read the latest theologian. It might involve quoting the Bible and reading the Bible with others. In our climate, that's not a bad thing as biblical literacy levels are dropping rapidly. But it's certainly to be done with humility and gentleness. You know, if you, that experience, if you know a friend who you grew up with and they go and spend a lot of time, whether it's America or the UK or Europe or whatever it is, and they return after a certain time, they've got a little accent, maybe a stronger accent. It happens often when you're immersed in a culture You've been so caught up in a way of speaking, you can't help but speak like the culture. When we immerse ourselves in God's word, the promises, and, the tre- and treasure it more and more, we'll struggle not to speak from the perspective of the truth that comes from God's word. It will become our accent. Now, again, this will look different for different people in different contexts. But it's easy for us to fall into the trap saying, well, there are seasons of life when we speak the truth of God's word. And, you know, I'm not in that season right now. That's not how the New Testament actually paints the picture. Put it this way. We all are given the responsibility of sharing Christ with others, whether that's with your child, whether it's with your parents, your siblings, your friends, your work colleagues, whether they're Christian or they're not, whether it's with your Bible study group. Here's another way we can put it. There is no relationship that exists in the world that is not better off with the word of Christ being at the centre of that relationship. There is no relationship that exists in the world that is not better off with the word of Christ being at the centre of that relationship. Now, for some of us, all our disciple-making might happen in the home. As we speak to children, siblings, helping them understand and grow in the trust in the promises of God. For others, us, it might happen at the bedside of a seriously ill family member as they hear of God's love and a strengthen of God's about the promises of God's love and the promise of their eternal home. For others, it might be the opportunities that present themselves in the relationships, whether it's the gym or a sports team or school friends or whatever it is. No relationship that you have, whether it's a Christian or not, will be better off by censoring the good news of Jesus. Now, what it looks like to bring that truth into a particular context, again, will look different based on the particular relationship and the context. Some people who have been burnt by church, anything that resembles Bible bashing uh, might be an immediate turnoff. For some relationships, the truth of what Jesus has done and what he promises to those who trust him can be spoken very sensitively and winsomely into the life of someone who we love through conversations over weeks and months. Other people, I think, and it's fair to say, we can often hide behind our fear of being Bible bashers and say nothing of substance at all. We can lose confidence in the promises of God. And in this church, I can see so many encouraging ways where this speech is happening all the time. Those who have had to say a difficult word to someone else out of love for them as a Christian brother or sister... Parents talking to their kids 
about their big questions as they walk them to school or put them to bed at night. There are those in nursing homes who are clinging on to their favourite truths and scriptures and their favourite hymn lyrics and being a witness to the staff around them as they recite them. A few weeks ago we heard there are people in this congregation who front up week after week to teach kids in our local schools about the truth of Jesus despite not always the best behaviour from the students. There are those who post a Bible verse on our St Mark's community Facebook page every day for encouragement and I think we know who these people are. I don't want to embarrass them but they're very kind and encouraging. But speaking the truth of God's word is happening a lot of different ways yet I suspect if you're anything like me it can still feel like a difficult thing to do and you can hear a talk tonight and you can think you've felt more guilty than inspired to action. I think there are a few reasons why we don't share the word of God with others. I've got three of them. First is we lack motivation. Second is we lack confidence. And third, we lack courage. And I think all three of them are related. It often can happen as lack of motivation, confidence and courage as often as these habits grow and we neglect to immerse ourselves in God's word in the various contexts of our lives. As Christians, we can very easily compartmentalise the Word of God and speaking about the Word of God in this very small space in our lives. I go to church on Sunday, I hear a sermon, I go home, I then watch Netflix or whatever it is, I prepare for the next day. We can start thinking, well, there's this sphere, whether it's our home groups or whatever it is, where we talk about the serious things of God's Word after, second, after the second question in the Bible study and, 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 and then we finish talking about it as the last prayer wraps up and that's the kind of domain where we talk about the big things, right? Very compartmentalised approach and it dries up motivation and confidence and courage very quickly. One of the reasons we have things like supper after church is not because we're worried that people are going to go home starving, <laughs> even though some people might. We're not worried about people's diets, otherwise we would choose different food for supper. We do it because relationships are important and speech in those relationships are so important. We try to create a, a space where people can go a bit deeper with one another, connect a bit deeper, not just quoting Bible verses at each other, but encouraging each other with the truth and wrestling with the truth of what we've thought about. On our weekend away, we're going to be looking at uh, what the letter of 1 Peter, and it's got that famous uh, passage from 1 Peter chapter 2. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're a royal priesthood. It's not just a select few of people who are priests, or a special subgroup, all Christians are called to be God's mouthpieces and representatives here on earth. And that's one of the chief ways that we love people, is speaking the truth in love. Of course, with a character that matches that, seeking not to just be people of word, but hypocrisy. But we can't stay silent if what we believe is true. 
I'd like to spend some time now, just as we finish, with a little exercise that we did this morning, because I, you might be here tonight and you're feeling, okay, I've heard all this before, I've tried doing this and I've been burnt in the past a number of times. Yes, I know I should be sharing the word with others and I've tried it, it just hasn't ended. And I, so I'm just going to go back to the status quo, how things... Um, and you might be feeling that lack of motivation or confidence or courage or whatever it is. I'll call that, I think one of the areas which I think is often the reason for this is, a, is what we might call being spiritually dry. And if you are the person here uh, today who might be feeling that lack of motivation, you're feeling a bit spiritually flat or dry, I've got a little exercise here and this is for people who actually would like to feel a bit different. Now, we don't talk about our feelings very much, do we, at church? We're going to do that, which is a good thing, right? If you're the kind of person who says, I would actually, I'm feeling a bit spiritually dry, but I'd like to not feel spiritually dry, I've got a little exercise that under God, God can do whatever he wants, but it's not really going to work if you don't really want um, <laughs> to have this change, but God could obviously do something different. But... I'm confident things would change if you would actually want to feel different about God. Here's a little exercise that I found personally very helpful. Set aside some time in the next 24 to 48 hours. Any later than that, you'll have forgotten about what we've looked at tonight, unless you're exceptionally good at it. Well, write notes. Set aside some time and set aside a good chunk of time, right? So set aside, try to set aside 60 minutes by yourself. You might not need all that time. The first step then is to pray slow. Ask that God will help you to be spiritually nourished nourished and fed by his word and that his spirit will be at work in you. Pray that God will remind you of how valuable you are and the purpose he has for you to bring honour and glory to him. Now here's the key. Don't stop praying until you feel you're actually speaking to the true and living God. Take as long as it needs, it takes. Just keep praying, speaking to God, asking him to feed you by his word until you feel, I'm actually speaking to the living God here. Don't worry about the clock and don't worry about ticking a box. The next thing is to read slow. Open God's word and don't spend too long trying to find a passage, but find a passage that you might be familiar with. Start with I would suggest starting with 1 Peter because we're going to be looking at it at the weekend away. And again, start reading it very slowly and only read as much as you need to read until you're aware that you're not just reading words off a page but that God is speaking to you and challenging you and encouraging you. Again, read slowly and take as long as you need. At that point, pause and reflect on what God is teaching you from his word. You might need a little pen, pencil or write something down. Phones are often quite hard in those situations because they're prone to take your mind somewhere else, but if you can do it on your phone... Make a note or something. What is God teaching you from his word? And then fourth thing, pray again. 
that God will help you to believe this truth and that God will give you one opportunity to share with at least just one person what God has taught you today and take as long as you need to pray that. Don't rush it. That person could be a very trusted Christian friend and I know some people are in those kind of accountability relationships already. It could be someone who's not a Christian. Whatever, whoever it is. See, making disciples is as simple as sharing with somebody else what God is teaching you from his word at this moment. It comes from a confidence that God's spirit-inspired word is living and active and really can change lives. It comes from having a heart for others and a speech that comes out of that heart. In a church that I was at previously, I had the privilege of spending time with a lady named Marilyn, who was in, a, in our congregation, and she was a resident at the local nursing home. And she lived an amazing life, and she'd had been involved in a whole bunch of ministries, very smart, very knew a Bible very, very well. But in her older age, she could no longer speak. Uh, and I remember she invited me to come and read the Bible with her at one point. And I was thinking, okay, well, that's sometimes what I get asked to do in, in privilege of my job is to read the Bible. But she actually didn't want me to read the Bible with her. She knew her Bible quite well. She wanted me to read the Bible with her Filipino cleaner, who English was a second language, who I don't think really knew Jesus. And she wanted me to do it not because I was someone special, but Probably because, as a minister, as you know, they only work on Sundays, so the rest of our week free, right? No, I'm joking. <laughs> I think she did. She did knew I, I could. I had vocal cords. <laughs> she wasn't asking me to explain anything. She just wanted me to read it out loud, because she knew where the power was. That God's word has the power to save. It's truly moving. Now, my own life and my experience, now, our experience with God and all this kind of stuff uh, can be different for different people. We can find God distant and not speaking to us or not challenging us and all these kind of things. And, and it's true that various traumatic experiences uh, come up and can really feel like they throw us right off course. But often in general... In my own personal experience and those who I've been involved in, those who are finding God distant or not speaking to them or challenging them or growing them, at least one of three things is going on. Often all three. They've stopped relying on God and reaching out to him in prayer. They've stopped reading God's word and assuming it will, it is actually not just a text on a page, but they're actually meditating on the actual word of God found in Scripture. Or they've stopped speaking to others about God. They've stopped seeking to share what they've been reading with others. If you've ever been on a beach mission or a mission or something, many Christians will testify that the most spiritually alive they've ever felt is when they've found themselves in situations where they've been in a community where they've been prayerfully, courageously seeking to speak to others about Jesus and answer other people's questions. 
And we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus himself says, and I, I don't take that he's just talking about being with us just in a general way. I think Jesus is with his people in a powerful, special way when they are going about his work. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then I'm surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age, particularly in that activity. So who makes disciples? Every Christian who is learning Christ by the power of God's spirit is equipped to share the word of Christ with others. Now that's a long answer to a very short question. (laughs) But I hope you'll see the significance of that in our own lives and our church community lives and how radically different our whole community of Brow would be the more confident, motivated and courageous we are to share the truth of Jesus with others. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks that you have not left us in the dark, that you have revealed yourself to us in the person of your son and in your word. And we ask, I ask tonight particularly for those of us who might be feeling that spiritual dryness, that lack of motivation perhaps, lack of courage or confidence. Help us to know that you are with us by your spirit Help us to know that your word is living and active. We ask it will penetrate our hearts and give us that gentle love and humility to bring it to those around us. Whether they know you or not, help us to be a community that seeks to build others up as we speak the truth in love. Amen. stand and we're going to sing together. Oh, uh-huh. 
Now we come to a time of church family news. Uh, we'll start off with, I believe, yeah, men's dinner tomorrow night. It's first Monday of every month. So you can meet at the tavern behind Coles. Um, you can have a delicious meal and a chat with your fellow Christians and build and encourage them. 
Then we have uh, next so Sunday, 10th of March, say Stephen Mbogo is coming from the, uh, he's the CEO of African Enterprise and he'll be talking to us about where disciples are made. Um, he's coming all the way across the world to do this, so it's a, it'd be a great night to come along. Um, don't miss it. And then following this, we have the uh, AGM, or AGM, as Luke said to me before. <laughs> the AGM, Sunday, 17th of March, 11.30 a.m. So come to the earlier church service for that one, obviously. Um, that's a chance for us to hear about our church, uh, where it's going. You can vote on various positions of church governance, such as parish council, uh, wardens and church nominators. Um, if you'd like, you can contact the office for nomination forms uh, and for more information. And then following that, we have our One Away. Who's excited for One Away? Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm very excited. That is the 22nd to 24th of March. Um, if you haven't got your payments in, I haven't, to be honest, I will. Uh, <laughs> get it in. And if you also need to talk to the ch uh, church about subsidise, uh, yeah, to get your payment subsidised, you can do that. Um, but um, yeah, we're coming up to it, so let's get it done. Talking to myself there. <laughs> then following that, big, it's a massive March, isn't it? Um, 28th to 31st of March is Easter. So um, you can be thinking about who you'd like to invite for the Easter services. Uh, yeah, and that's all the church family news, I believe. And now I'm going to invite up uh, Luke to talk about Hatsia. Just before we talk about Hatsia, just an encouragement again. Next week, uh, it's going to be a special. I, I don't know if he's coming all the way just to Ste Stephen and Bogo, but he's coming out to. Uh, we're very, very privileged to have Stephen and Bogo speaking at all three services next Sunday. Uh, and he's someone who has had a lot of first hand experience about the, God's work of making disciples of all nations. I'm really looking forward to uh, him being here, and I, I hope you are too. I encourage you to uh, clear your diaries if you don't already do that for Sundays to be here. Uh, it should be a, a wonderful blessing for us. Uh, yeah, so we've got HADSIA, which apparently the acronym changes every now and then. So I just write teaching scripture at Asquith Girls and Boys High is what we're talking about, even though that doesn't really work with HADSIA because... Um, we had an argument last time while I was doing it that the, the acronym stands for different things, so we won't get distracted by that. But here's the thing. There's this quirk in Australian history because of the fact we were founded by an English uh, colony. We're an, we're an English colony, and so the Church of England were the people who were entrusted with doing all the education, and when it got handed over to the state, uh, there was an agreement that... In state education, they had to have Christian, a Christian component for those people in Christian families. And so we still have that today in New South Wales and other states, it's different. And under God, it's been a wonderful blessing and we don't know how long it will be around in the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Those laws might change, we don't know. But God has allowed us as God's people to go into state schools to teach people who want to be taught the Christian faith, whether it's from a Christian home, uh, in, in primary schools and in high schools. And in primary schools, uh, we do that, if you're aware, we do that through volunteers uh, who serve uh, from this church and other churches in the area. Due to the complexities of high school and the way in which the high, and the different relationships and the dynamics of teacher and student, things like that, we actually pay people to go in and teach, like teachers, to the high school and also run the Christian groups. And we support the work... Uh, 
that is done at Asquith Girls and Boys High. And we've got Brad, is he? Brad, do you want to come out? Just give Brad a little clap. I'd like to say Brad is the product of the work of Hads here, but he's the, the youth ministry here as well. So, Brad, you were chatting to me earlier. You go to Asquith Boys, not Asquith, Asquith Boys. <laughs> and tell us, Brad, you had uh, some memories of the blessing of the, the teachers, particularly when you are in year eight during the time of COVID. Is that right? Yeah, so like? during COVID, um, they were very encouraging, you know. They always made sure everyone was staying on top of their faith, mm -hmm. um, you know, supporting everyone through it. Was that like online when you were... Yeah, kind of in the, the online learning and stuff. And then when we came back to school as well, they made sure everyone was um, doing all right and had, you know, hadn't really wavered too much. Yeah, great. Yeah. And so were they teaching you seven and eight? In, is that right? Yeah, I don't know if it's changed or not, but when I was um, in junior school, it was year seven and eight yeah. that you did scripture for. Yep. So. Which is a really a wonderful blessing. So there are a number of Christian schools around and... Uh, that have that kind of content built in, but to have it in our state schools is wonderful. And we would love to be able to have a microphone. That is that what you're saying, Abe? Yeah, there we go. Uh, we would love to be able to have that ministry continue. Uh, and so we thinking here that the we can see the website here, uh, samarkbrow.org/hadsia. That will take you to the Generate website, which allows you to make a donation to that work that is tax deductible, right? So if you, your normal giving to church is actually not tax deductible, but this one is because it's education and stuff like that. Um, and so you can do that by going to that website, a QR code. We're trying to really uh, help people think about this ministry this term. There are other ministries like Faith Baptist Church and African Enterprise and different things that we'll be thinking through the year. But this term, if you can give your prayers uh, and attention and, and think what your capacity is to financially support this valuable ministry continuing. Uh, that would be wonderful. samarksbarrero.org forward slash Hatsia. Uh, if, and we'll hear about it again just before the end of term. Uh, but I do commit that to your prayers. I'm going to pray for that ministry now and then Katie's going to come and lead us in further prayers. Father, I give you thanks for the work of Hatsia and for people uh, like Brad and others who have benefited from it. And we pray that it will be able to continue uh, for many, many years to come and that you'll be strengthening people like Acacia and Ryan uh, and Fiona who are teaching there at the moment. Uh, we pray that you'll strengthen them and encourage them in their work and help us as a church, uh, like the other supporting churches, uh, to be able to not just prayerfully support but financially support as well. And we ask that you will do this by your spirit uh, in the name of your son. Amen. Katie's going to lead us in further prayers.